Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment and the MIT Energy Club. My name is Stuart DeCue and I will be your host for this afternoon's presentation. Today's presentation is Small Changes, Big Results, the Connecticut Neighbor-to-Neighbor -neighbor Energy Challenge. We would like to acknowledge the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation for their funding support of the Carbon Finance Speaker Series at Yale. This series of public webinars features the latest developments in energy efficiency policy, investment, technology, and community engagement, with a special focus on the Department of Energy's Better Buildings Program. In today's presentation, Carrie O'Neill and Brian Garcia from Earth Markets will present the Connecticut Neighbor-to-Neighbor Energy Challenge. Over three years, the Connecticut Neighbor-to-Neighbor Energy Challenge will engage 10% of residents in 14 towns across Connecticut, helping them reduce their energy use by 20%. The program integrates several innovative approaches that Carrie and Brian will discuss, including a clean energy core, performance-based rewards, new uses of technology, enhanced campaign management, and methods to create more user-friendly and robust monitoring and verification procedures. A little bit about our speakers. Carrie O'Neill is the co-founder and president of Earth Markets. She is an executive with over 20 years of progressive management experience in diverse sectors, including direct marketing, e-commerce, business outsourcing services, and financial services, holding increasingly senior roles in operations, strategy, and marketing. Carrie is also the executive director of the Clean Energy Finance Center, a nonprofit organization that develops innovative approaches to attract greater private and public sector capital to finance large-scale energy efficiency, renewable energy, and carbon reduction initiatives. Brian Garcia is the co-founder and chief community officer of Earth Markets. He is an executive with over 10 years of progressive management experience in energy, environment, and economic development sectors within organizations that operate in the public, private, nonprofit, and academic sectors. Brian is the program director of the Yale um, Center for Business and the Environment, an initiative of the Yale School of Management, and the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies that prepares environmental leaders for business and society to solve the problems that matter. A, good, uh, a reminder to our audience, on the right-hand side of your screen, you will see a question box. During the presentation, if you have any questions for Brian or Carrie, please type them into the box, and we will relay them to the speakers at the close of the presentation. Please welcome Carrie O'Neill and Brian Garcia to Blueprint for Efficiency. Thank you, Stuart, very much. This is Carrie O'Neill. And um, first, we thought we would just quickly take you through um, the program design, and then we'll get into some of our innovations. Um, so at, at the highest level, um, what you're seeing is, is our goal for our program. <clears throat> and the Neighbor to Neighbor Energy Challenge is an innovative 14-town program. It's community-based, and it's part of the Better Buildings program, of course. And our goal is for homeowners to commit to this challenge, and we're targeting participation of 10% of our households. And we're um, seeking to have those households reduce their energy usage and increase their clean energy usage. And this is a particularly um, important uh, goal for Connecticut because our homes spend on average uh, $3,500 a year on energy. And, um, and our homes are pretty inefficient. In fact, our most inefficient homes use 30% more energy than efficient ones. And so by doing this, um, we hope to keep more than $150 million annually in the local economy. Um, so this picture you're seeing here are our 14 uh, town leaders with our governor, Governor Malloy. Um, we did a formal launch of our program back in March. Um, we had done a soft launch back in November. And these, um, these 14 communities are all small communities under 35,000 in population. And they represent suburban low density, high density, some rural, a range of income dem demographics. 
Um, and it's about 97,000 households uh, and population of 230,000 or 260,000, Brian? 260,000 in population. And these communities really are clean energy leaders in the state. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, next up, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this slide, but, but because when we go through the rest of the presentation, we're going to be talking about all these different partners. Uh, but one thing about our program um, that's, that's really important to know is that it's very much a partnership-driven program. We've partnered with our 14 communities, and we have just an amazing group of um, partners that help us deliver the program. First and foremost, we have two ratepayer funds in the state, the Clean Energy Fund and the Energy Efficiency Fund. And we're really marketing the programs of these funds um, that support uh, renewable energy, they support energy efficiency, they have financing and rebates. And then we surrounded that program with great marketing, outreach, um, M&V, evaluation, and uh, technology partners. Okay, so next up, the objective of our program is to get people on what we call a food chain of sustainable energy usage. And um, we have, and, and there are other approaches to uh, uh, upgrade programs, especially in the residential sector. Some uh, focus directly on the audit and getting folks to the, uh, to the upgrade. And we've taken a small change approach, leading to bigger results over time. And, um, and you'll see that as we go through some of our innovations, how we support that. Um, and then the other uh, important thing for us is that we are trying to demonstrate the value of um, being able to aggregate energy savings and, um, and be able to trade them in environmental markets. And Brian Garcia will talk a little bit about that. And then the last thing is we're, we're aiming for a replicable and scalable program. In particular, we want to be able to demonstrate that in a regulatory environment where you have thresholds for lifetime costs per kilowatt hour that have to be met, that a program model like this that's community-based can compete with other program models. So um, in terms of this food chain of sustainable energy usage, um, you know, here we have a quote from Ian Ayers from Carrots and Sticks that, that talk about, um, you know, and this is really kind of a research framework for the program, how you know, when you break up your goals into smaller steps, uh, you have a more realistic chance of success. And it, it kind of presents those conditions and the behavioral patterns for success. And, and we built that into our program design. So um, uh, here, this is kind of what we call our roadmap um, to sustainable energy usage. And we start with a commitment. Um, we're asking folks to join the challenge, join their neighbors. Um, and next, we, um, we have neighborhood energy workshops, and we have a number of different outreach strategies to get folks involved. And then we start with uh, you know, some of the actions. We start with a lighting action. It's free. It's easy. Next up, we're going to ask you to do a home energy solutions assessment. This is a great program that our ratepayer fund uh, provides. And it gives you a sense of what your deeper act actions are. Um, and from there, we're going to ask you to sign up for clean energy on your, on your uh, electric bill, because you've saved enough money already to pay for that. And next, we're going to ask you to really focus in on those recommended actions from your home energy solutions visit and go for your upgrades, uh, including solar thermal hot water. So we go all the way through um, renewables. Um, and, and so this is how we think about our food chain. Now, uh, you know, from a program design standpoint, that doesn't mean that people won't um, enter you know, farther up the line. You don't have to go all the way through the program in this way. Um, but then by the time you get to um, you know, doing everything else, we're going to want you to go all the way, and we can support solar PV. And this is really, you know, as we think about this from a community perspective, um, what can come after this, if we see homes really going all the way through renewable energy usage, you know, the whole, um, a whole new way of thinking about our communities in relation to jobs, the economy, and the environment. Um, 
Next, uh, you know, if we, if we think about that roadmap of all our actions, we have analyzed for each one of those actions from the behavioral side all the way through solar PV, um, what the uh, energy savings are, what the economic savings are, and what some of the environmental impacts are. And this becomes very important when Brian will talk about our performance-based rewards program. This is kind of the basis for that. So next we're going to go through um, some of our program innovations that we wanted to highlight. And, um, you know, Stuart had mentioned them in the intro. We're going to go through um, these five innovations. Um, and first off, uh, Brian's going to talk about the Clean Energy Corps. Great. Thank you, Carrie. Um, so the Clean Energy Corps is really uh, what we call uh, the heart and soul of the program. It's represented by uh, many young, talented men and women, actually from communities uh, throughout uh, Connecticut, from Prospect, Connecticut to Meriden, and from states uh, across the country, like Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, New York, uh, New Jersey, Vermont, and Virginia. So the core really represents an interesting cross-section uh, of the young uh, American population. Um, one of the things that we like to say, and, and Carrie mentioned it earlier, uh, is that what we're really trying to do here is, is the core is really trying to make the innovations that we have better. So we have a lot of great programs that Carrie mentioned uh, that the Connecticut Energy Efficiency Fund and Connecticut Clean Energy Fund uh, promote to residents. But what the core does is it really makes those programs better by allowing homeowners, by reaching out to homeowners and helping them understand what those programs provide. Uh, so they serve as uh, an important uh, awareness mechanism for our homeowners. Um, so we refer to them as, as the Clean Energy Corps, um, and they are this passionate group of young individuals who are here to help uh, homeowners reduce their home energy waste. Um, the Clean Energy Corps is administered by the Student Conservation Association. Um, they serve a one-year term and receive a weekly stipend of $400. Um, for those of you who are students out there and who are completing your master's thesis projects, usually you're all doing that at this time, um, the foundation of SCA was actually based on a master's thesis written 50 years ago. So the work that you're doing right now in the classroom for your professors can have a profound effect, uh, as SCA has demonstrated, uh, by being in the market for over 50 years and deploying over 50,000 volunteers in a variety of projects across the country predominantly dealing with help, helping to uh, address and protect our national parks uh, around the country. But some of the things that they're looking at today are in fact working within communities and helping homeowners pursue more sustainable energy uh, lifestyles. Uh, the Corps um, will receive a, an AmeriCorps year of service by going through this program here in Connecticut. They've in fact uh, also been certified uh, in efficient lighting by the Lighting Research Center out of uh, RPI. Uh, so they've all gone through uh, residential lighting, a, a, a really extensive program. It's, it was uh, uh, quite a bit of fun uh, for a three-month period to train them. Uh, we think going forward, actually, that we can accelerate the pace of that training program. But like all of the Better Buildings programs, everyone's designing programs on the fly. So uh, it took us three months to, to design and implement the training program and the core is now out uh, in the communities uh, doing work for households. So, so next I'm going to talk about some of our campaign management approaches. 
and, and you know, kind of to set it up, the purpose of, of our campaign management tool set is really to support continuous program analysis. Um, and I'm going to go through some of the tools that we use to do that. So first of all, in terms of program-facing tools, so um, Clean Water Fund is our, or our lead organizing partner, and they're supported by the Clean Energy Corps. Um, and the Clean Water Fund has developed a set of consistent organizing tools that we can deploy across all our 14 towns. And it starts with brainstorming, you know, basically a list of contacts. We call it the strategic outreach plan. We do it with our partners. And next up, we move into developing town-specific strategies. And we look at this by sector. We look at the faith community, civic groups, schools, businesses. And we have a roster of strategies that we've been developing. Um, but what comes next is we really then create and refine a specific campaign plan. These campaign plans, a little bit like a political campaign, they're quantitative. They're tied to weekly and monthly program goals um, and very specifically tied to strategies. So for instance, if I'm going to go to an outreach event, how many sign-ups am I going to get for lighting for home energy solutions at this event in this town? Um, or if it's a workshop, uh, kind of the same sort of thing. Then we track our actuals against our goals on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And so the next tools that we have are management reports that we use to track our progress. And this is something that I spend a lot of time with, with the team. And we've developed program dashboards for high-level metrics. And they range from uh, things like outreach metrics in terms of how many meetings we're going to and coalition partners that are being um, assigned up. We have social media statistics. We have lighting and home energy solutions statistics and upgrade statistics and renewables. Um, and so the next thing we look at are what we call pipeline reports. And these are really sales pipeline reports. When we look at our um, upgrade from our audit to our upgrade, we're analyzing um, what percentage of sign-ups yield an audit, what percent of, of audits yield a bid, what percentage of bids yield an upgrade, where are people getting stuck, does it vary by contractor, by town. Um, so this is very important to us as we start thinking about the analysis phase. Um, the next uh, set of tools that I'll just briefly touch on are, of course, we have program face, uh, customer facing tools. This is the fun stuff that people think about. Um, we have town visibility kits, um, so our marketing partner, Smart Power, has worked with the team to create this really compelling set of visual tools out in the communities which are, which are just being deployed now, you know, seven-foot-high banners in town hall uh, that can be uh, also used at outreach events. Um, we have testimonials. We have other uh, brochures and collateral. We're working on yard signs and decals and things like that. Um, we do a workshop series. Um, we do a basic series and, a, and then a deeper energy saving series where we have our contractors come and um, they actually do the marketing to folks who've gotten audits and um, we do a one-on-one -on -one consult. Um, we have a very um, robust customer follow-up process. Um, we're implementing a refer-a-friend uh, program. So in community outreach strategy, any, um, anyone who does something with your program, if they can get you another uh, person to do something in your program, you've doubled your numbers. That's really important in community-based strategies. And then we have a range of social media um, uh, tools that we're using, of course, videos, testimonials. We have Facebook pages for our 14 towns. We have a race to 100 um, because uh, as you get 100 fans, uh, actually if you get 35 fans on your Facebook page, then you get analytics, which is very important to us. Um, and then I'll touch on some of our technology tools uh, later on. Um, and then the next thing that um, we're doing on the campaign management side is we, we have a lot of focus on qualitative and quantitative research areas. 
So on the qualitative side, um, with our research partner, Kat Donnelly, who's getting our PhD at MIT and also has a consulting firm, um, she works with our outreach team on something called Listening to the Voice of the Consumer, and she does debriefs on events. And this is really an ethnographic exercise where you're diving deeply into kind of a smaller number of um, uh, interactions with customers to understand and to learn as a group what's working and what's not. And this helps us tweak our messaging and our our positioning. Um, we, also, we of course do surveys, online and phone-based surveys, and we're just now beginning to do deep dives on quantitative analysis on um, particular strategies, whether they're workshops or outreach events or uh, let's say our lighting program, to understand um, what's working and what's not by looking at the numbers and following folks through the pipeline to see how far they're getting or not getting and where they're getting stuck. Um, we're also going to start implementing what we call A-B testing. It's a, it's a pretty common direct marketing uh, technique where you, um, you do an outreach uh, campaign and you maybe change the subject line or you do two different versions of collateral to understand what works better. Um, and then um, ultimately what Kat Donnelly will be doing is doing some social network analysis to understand um, down the road as we have more data, who are the influencers? who's getting influenced, and, and then how are the norms being spread in our communities, and how is the program being spread? Um, next, I wanted to touch on um, some of the technology tools that we're using to support the program. And what you're looking at here, which may seem a little scary and overwhelming, is the document that um, Kat Donnelly and I put together back in September as we were um, starting to sketch out what our integrated framework for technology um, would look like. What are the tools that we thought we were going to need to pull off a program like this? And so it, it contains um, a, a central repository that will store all the actions taken by participants and all the different ways that those participants might interact with the program, no matter what channel they interact, whether it's out in the field, one-on-one, -on -one, through events, phone, um, online, what have you. And um, this central repository gets integrated into all our different um, uh, touch points with the customer. And um, so what we've done is we've, uh, we went out to RFP with our, uh, with our uh, platform, and we chose Snug Home and Mobile Genius to help us um, come up with a customer relationship management system that will track all the participants in the community groups and the actions in the campaigns and will support can uh, volunteer management. Um, it will support marketing campaigns and A-B testing and things of that nature. Um, we're having a, a series of mobile apps developed, and Brian will touch on one for lighting that data capture right out in the field, which is really important. Um, it's, it's much more um, efficient to do data capture out in the field than it is to have to write things down by hand. And we're just transitioning into those systems in the next month or two. And then, of course, we have social media tools, whether it's you know, widgets that you can put out on Facebook um, or um, you know, constant contact, email campaigns, events management. And then um, the most critical thing for us in managing the program are all kinds of dashboards and reporting mechanisms that come with it. So that's what this whole, um, this whole slide is meant to uh, convey. Um, in terms of why do, why do you do something like this, uh, which is quite complex, and it's a, it's a complex undertaking, you know, it's really so that we can do a couple of different things. First, we want to be able to support information feedback back to our communities and the residents who are taking action so that they understand, you know, personally in their own lives how, um, how far they've gotten and how much of an impact they're having in reducing energy, but also to our community groups and our towns. And then for program managers, it really supports us in testing and evaluating 
what is an effective outreach strategy based on what's cost effective, what's driving the most demand, the most pull through, uh, and what have you. And then um, last, it supports uh, measurement and verification and then ongoing program refinement. So we're, we're constantly um, looking at our um, data and then understanding um, what it is that we need to do, you know, what's working, what's not, put more resources towards what's working, fix what's not, or drop it. And that's really critical in community-based outreach programs if you're going to do um, a scalable model. Um, next, I wanted to just briefly show you, um, so we, we haven't deployed our full web solution yet, but I thought I'd give you a preview of what's coming um, with the Snug Home platform. And um, this, um, one of the things that we have is um, access to utility bill data, usage data, based on a customer signing release form. And we spent many months negotiating this with our utility partner. And we're, um, we're really excited about the ability to show to our, um, our participants what their monthly usage bill uh, history is. They can compare it to what happened last year. Um, and then we can do targeted emails to the homeowner over time. And, and they can also compare to their neighbors. So we're very excited about that functionality. Um, and then for groups, um, although our program uh, page will look a little bit different like this, but Brian will talk about our incentive program. This allows um, us to be able to uh, show to groups you know, how they're tracking um, and what's going on within their community groups and, um, and who's up and who's down in terms of the groups. Um, next is... Um, uh, next up is a, uh, a tool that will integrate with the contractors out in the field who are making these recommendations um, in the Home Energy Solutions process. Um, so they'll have a data capture uh, app in the field, and, and we'll get that uploaded into our website so the customer can come back at any time and, and do some what-ifs. They can run some ROIs. They can see what's impacting health uh, and safety versus comfort versus economics. Um, and it will also show you kind of broken down the costs and savings and what rebates apply and what have you. And um, it will also show you from a monthly cash flow perspective um, what, um, what the impact of these uh, actions will have and, and any integration into uh, financing. And then, you know, we'll help you get it done. And so we're really excited to have um, that functionality come online and also be integrated with our tools in the field for contractors. That will be deployed in a, in a couple of months, and we're really excited about seeing that. Great. So we are moving really quickly through all these different innovations and uh, jumping from all the, the great tools that we're developing from the program. We now wanted to, to, to step back a little bit and jump into public policy. So, um, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, energy efficiency portfolio standards being developed across the country. This is actually a slide from Lori Bird uh, from NREL. Uh, but we wanted to focus specifically on a unique program here in Connecticut. It's called the Class 3 RPS. Uh, it's an energy efficiency portfolio standard. And one of the things that um, Earth Market was very actively involved in uh, was uh, a ruling where the regulator, the Department of Public Utility Control, recognized and acknowledged the importance of allowing uh, residential aggregation of energy efficiency in the state. So the statute that passed by law was effectively silent on how to treat residential ratepayers. Um, it focused a lot on commercial and industrial customers. So what we presented was a case to the department that um, suggested that if there were projects out there that were privately financed uh, where we were able to work with, with homeowners and through independent ver measurement and verification, uh, deliver savings to those homeowners, we should be able to aggregate those savings and trade and transact them in Connecticut's Class 3 RPS. 
we'll talk real quickly uh, about uh, how that works in our project finance model. It's really a micro project finance model here in a second. But uh, Connecticut provides this interesting policy context for us to test how uh, a public policy might lower the cost to homeowners to participate in these programs. So we have a program, it's called Neighbor to Neighbor Lighting, that we're going to be uh, submitting for approval to the regulator. They've approved the program in concept, uh, but what they now have to approve of is an independent measurement and verification plan. So one of the unique things that we're going to be bringing to the table now uh, is actually uh, we're going to be utilizing these enabling technologies. So the iPad offers so many interesting uh, capabilities for our program. For example, uh, improving data collection. So an iPad can geolocate. So if we take pictures of uh, bulbs that we're recycling from a home, uh, that iPad will determine what location you're at, when and where. So from a measurement and verification perspective, that's important to a verifier uh, that it in fact happened on such and such date. Uh, and is important also to the timeline for when your renewable energy credits are generated. Um, all of these, the, this tool essentially you could imagine uh, the clean energy core going through a home, uh, taking out incandescent light bulbs, putting in CFLs, and recording where these rooms are happening, the number of bulbs, the pre-install wattage, the post-install wattage. So the iPad becomes a data collection tool that will tie into what Carrie talked about earlier, the back end, which is our Salesforce site, and allow us to then produce reports for us as program managers, uh, for the evaluators as measurement and verification specialists for class three recs, uh, and so forth. So the iPad really serves uh, a variety of functions there. And we've got really great partners that we're working with on this. Carrie's mentioned Snug Homes uh, and Mobile Genius. Uh, Tommy over there at Mobile Genius keeps us on our toes with regards to developing these apps. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Celtic Energy. Uh, they are uh, our independent measurement and verification subcontractor. They actually operate out of one of our towns, which is great. So when we talk about local economic development, we're hiring a lot of uh, contractors from our towns. Um, but one of our goals for measurement and verification is really to help improve uh, upon the current Dean Savings model for estimating energy savings. Uh, the state has a great program savings document. Uh, what we're trying to do with these different data collection methodologies is to improve uh, methods and, and to take it a, a whole step further. Um, so one of our capabilities, for example, is a pre and post install wattage value for the CFLs. Um, and ultimately, what we're trying to get at here is to deliver aggregated residential aid, uh, energy savings that are revenue quality. So we're definitely going to be trading and transacting these renewable energy credits that we aggregate uh, through this program and try to find a buyer and sell them in Connecticut. But one of the interesting things that we're, uh, that we're focused on, as Carrie mentioned, the scalability and replicability, is can we create a tool that allows us to also take a program like this and lift it and take it to another state and develop a carbon offset program. So we're in conversations with the gold standard to develop a, a methodology whereby we might uh, take a program like this and rather than focus on energy savings, we can focus on a voluntary carbon offset saving program uh, in another state. So measurement and verification is really, as you've heard from Carrie, data collection is really, really important to us. Okay, so real quickly, when we think about the commercial viability for small programs like our neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor lighting, so you'll hear Carrie and I talk quite a bit about carbon finance, environmental markets. Um, what we are trying to do is to prove a model uh, whereby 
you know, replacing old incandescent light bulbs with new compact fluorescents um, and having an independent verifier produces these renewable energy credits that have a value. And they have a value over the useful life of the measure, and hopefully that value can help lower the upfront cost of the homeowner to participate in this program and to help accelerate uh, the uh, installation of more efficient bulbs. Uh, for those of you who are out there who are thinking about programs like this, uh, just a word of caution, you always want to uh, be cognizant of what's happening at the federal level. So the Energy Independence and Security Act of 2007 actually talks about phasing out incandescence. Uh, it's not a phase out of incandescence, it's actually an improvement of incandescence by 30%. Um, so that uh, decision at the federal level has actually affected us at the local level, and uh, we could address uh, questions if people have, have questions on that. But this is just one way of looking at one intervention. So we're talking about lighting. Um, can this work for other approaches uh, in the residential sector? And if the rent price is right, who knows, maybe there's a project finance capability or a commercially viable pro project that can be done uh, through a program such as this. All right, so lastly, we're going to tie this all up and we're going to talk about our performance-based rewards program. Uh, we've got two great funders uh, of our rewards program, the Connecticut Energy Efficiency Fund, uh, which is really test piloting this, this rewards program with us. They provided uh, $200,000 to the project as a form of leverage to the DOE grant. So it's great we were able to bring this uh, to the Department of Energy in our grant submission. So this provided great leverage from the state of Connecticut. And then, of course, through the Better Buildings program, uh, we've got uh, $50,000 of funds to support community group incentives. What we're trying to achieve with our energy challenge rewards are three things. One is we're trying to achieve uh, energy savings targets at a one-time performance-based incentive of $1 per MMBTU save. For those of you who are interested in how we set that stake in the sand, uh, we used um, an NRDC um, evaluation that happened actually last year in our Megawatts on Main Street webinar series. They talked a lot about what the residential energy efficiency cost supply curve is. Uh, we picked the measure on there and we, we used that as, as our base. So a uh, dollar per MMBTU saved. Our next goal is to obviously lower customer acquisition costs. As Carrie talked about uh, with regards to the food chain for sustainable energy, it's our expectation that as we move people along that food chain that we'll be able to reduce customer acquisition costs in the market and upsell them more to uh, higher uh, order programs and interventions like insulation and solar water heating. And lastly, what we expect to see um, is that we're going to increase the pace uh, and penetration rates for uh, the utility-run programs, the home energy assessments, and ultimately the upgrades that we're after and the job creation that, we after, that we're after. So in these 14 participating towns versus the other 150 non-participating towns, we fully expect to see a big gap in performance between the two because we have this concerted community uh, focus. So our rewards program uh, is based around three uh, areas. So one is uh, we've got a program for, for towns, uh, and we're going to dive specifically into that because that's really uh, an exciting program uh, that uses an SNH green stamps model. It's a points-based program uh, that we'll talk about as, resident, uh, as, as homeowners take action, their town earns points that they can redeem for special prizes, and we'll dive into that. Um, also is the competition model. So we all know that communities, community groups, they like to compete against each other uh, within communities, between communities. 
so we've established a program that effectively award that creates competitions within towns. So Clean Water, one of our partners is working with community groups in each of our 14 towns uh, to get uh, groups to sign up for the program. Uh, they, they create and organize events. They get their members to attend events. Uh, they then work with those members to sign up and take actions uh, on our food chain. And hopefully all of this creates a local uh, willingness on behalf of affinity groups and community groups to get their members to take action. And then ultimately the individual. Uh, we've all learned a lot from the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts growing up. Uh, I wasn't one of them, but I had a friend uh, who was an Eagle Scout. Um, and I saw all the work that he did to earn that Eagle Scout. People like to be recognized for what they're doing. So as they take more and more actions in our food chain, their ranking or their level will increase um, and they'll be recognized for it. Okay, so we're going to dive into the SNH Green Stamps, or our town model, our rewards program. And, you know, as we have this conversation internally with all of our various partners, we have a lot of young, uh, recent college graduates uh, who are part of our partner team, and uh, they don't really understand what SNH Green Stamps are. So we actually had to go back in the archives and one of the things that we do present to our community groups is actually an old Brady Bunch show. We're not going to do it here, uh, but we're going to have Alice talk a little bit about uh, the points program. But what the Brady Bunch program does is it creates a fun and exciting little video around how the kids in the Brady family uh, collect these stamps and earn rewards uh, for the family. But essentially the program works like this. So every time a household provides access to the energy usage data that Carrie spoke about before, uh, their community gets 100 points. Uh, if they develop a personal savings plan for themselves and they start attending these energy-saving workshops, uh, they're going to be provided more points. Uh, when they undertake the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor lighting program, which will deliver them at least $100 of energy savings from lighting, uh, they'll also contribute 100 points uh, to the community. When they complete this home energy assessment, uh, they'll get 200 points. And as we start to march up this curve, this is actually where all of the jobs start to get created, which is the intent of the Better Buildings program. So insulation, 500 points. Uh, heating and cooling equipment, 500 points. Solar hot water, 500. PV, 500. And ultimately, a house or a home like the Brady's can contribute 2,500 reward points uh, to their community. And the more and more families like the Brady's that you have in your community, the more reward points your town earns and they can redeem for special prizes. So this is just a snapshot of our rewards catalog. We actually have a spring-summer catalog with a variety of different rewards that towns can select from, uh, from things like a thermal imaging assessment. So this is where we're a very experimental project. We're working with MIT, uh, the media lab. Um, uh, no, no, um, I can't remember. Yes, I'm sorry. It's a, it's, it's a lab at MIT that's essentially developing uh, really quick, rapid, high-resolution thermal imaging of homes. And what we're intending to do here is to, to do some really quick, rapid assessments of where leaks are in a neighborhood. So a town can select that. They can select LED bulbs, uh, smart thermostats, you name it. Um, or if they save their rewards, they can save all the way up to things like solar-powered LED streetlights uh, for their town or electric vehicle recharging stations. One of the exciting things that's happening here in the state of Connecticut is that General Electric manufactures electric vehicle recharging stations. So there's uh, a movement starting to happen around uh, developing policies and programs to encourage 
uh, electric vehicles. So we wanted to develop a rewards program that would encourage towns to be prepared for this uh, policy as things move forward. But again, this is a, a catalog, and you can see the Better Building stamps on several of these. So with regards to the rewards program on the community groups that the DOE will be supporting, these are the rewards that the DOE has approved uh, funding uh, to go to. The rest of the funding that comes from the Connecticut Energy Efficiency Fund can apply to all of our rewards. So if people are interested, we can make the catalog uh, available in its entirety for you to see everything that's in here. There are things like visits to the local science center, um, you know, you name it, we've got it. I think there are 40 different reward catalogs, and the important thing is that it was the community groups who came up and the community members that came up with these ideas. Uh, we quantified them and we put them together, and now they're together in a catalog. So I think that was it um, with regards to our presentation, and we're ready to take questions. Great. Thanks, Brian and Gary, for that wonderful presentation. Um, we have uh, a number of questions coming in from our audience, um, starting out with a few on background, and then we'll get into the weeds on some of the specific, more technical questions that people out there have. Uh, first off, why did you choose smaller communities in Connecticut, or why are you partnering with smaller communities rather than some of the larger cities that are out there? If you could take us into a bit of the background on that, that would be great. Sure. Well, um, we actually started uh, uh, working and developing this concept with cities before the funding opportunity announcement came out from the Department of Energy. And when the funding opportunity announcement came out, for large communities, there, there were two different programs you could apply under, and for cities, there was a, there was a five to one leverage ratio you had to achieve. And um, at that point, Connecticut didn't have a financing program in place, and we didn't see how we could achieve that leverage ratio without a financing program. So that bumped us down into recruiting the under 35,000 communities. Um, our strategy had been recruit the cities and get the, get the surrounding towns around them. Um, but unfortunately, we, we didn't feel like we could compete competitively against other parts of the country. Um, it turned out, however, in retrospect, we should have we should have just taken a chance on that model because um, the Energy Efficiency Fund did implement a financing program right after we put our grant program uh, grant application in. But that's why. Um, and then, in particular, these 14 communities that we focused on were really leaders in energy uh, issues. Um, they had a great volunteer base and, and municipal leadership engaged on these issues. So they were um, already demonstrating leadership through uh, the Clean Energy Communities Program that the Clean Energy Fund uh, runs. And so we felt they were great, uh, a great test bed um, for these, this sort of program model. Uh, another background question on the, the design of the program. I think for people out there who are interested in starting their own, this comes from a couple of different folks. Um, Greg Zola uh, being one and others. Um, how do you tap into the Clean Energy Core at a state level here if you're interested in partnering in Connecticut? And also, if you're interested in starting your own program, how do you actually go about creating a partnership with AmeriCorps and creating Clean Energy Core in other communities? Um, sure. So actually, here in Connecticut with uh, the Student Conservation Association, we're very much in a test pilot mode uh, with them. So everyone's looking at uh, this Clean Energy Core model. I'm in our hearts, love it. Uh, we're, we're definitely tracking data, and we want to see how everything uh, is working. But with regards to how we kind of got to this point, um, SCA has been in communities for a long, long time. I, I think it was, in fact, in Stanford uh, where they initially came with, with Mayor Malloy at the time uh, to talk about a local green jobs program. And they developed a little test pilot in Stanford. I think a, 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 
Also in uh, Pennsylvania, they ran a test pilot around uh, local sustainable communities. Uh, but we were able to connect with them. And uh, over the summer uh, of last year, spring and summer of last year, we had meetings with them. And we talked about this project. 2009. 2009. My God, it's been that long. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time in, in coming with this partnership. But you know, we met with them. And everyone's values just seemed to align. Um, what we were trying to do at the community level, what they were looking at doing with expanding their great programs beyond the national parks to working in the communities uh, just seemed uh, just seemed right. So you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, of questions and a lot of opportunities from people who are interested in the Clean Energy Core model. Um, and we hope to, uh, in fact, uh, scale it and replicate it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say that this is true for all the partners, um, but I, I just happened to be talking to um, Lori Guido from Student Conservation Association yesterday, and she was saying, wow, if I knew now what I knew when we put our application in, we probably would have put our budgets together a little bit differently. We would have done things a little differently. That's true, though, of every single one of the partners involved in the program. Um, so it is very much a, a learning process. Um, and, but I think that um, Student Conservation Association is really um, interested in this model and looking um, to deploy it elsewhere. So if people are interested, we could certainly make connections there. Can you build on that a little bit more, Brian and Carrie, in terms of what you would have gone back and done differently? I mean, that's part of the better program. But in terms of placing emphasis, you've talked a lot about the, you know, combining boots on the ground, community organizing yeah. with technology, financing innovations that yeah. are there, the marketing that's there. Yeah. For someone yeah. starting out in this at a community level, what do they need to think about yeah. sort of first that you would have gone back and told them? The okay, well, wow, yeah, um, a lot of things. I mean, first of all, I would say that we, um, we were designing the program as we were training our outreach, hiring and training our outreach staff, engaging with the communities ahead of a, a full program design in place and all the supporting materials and tools required, including the systems. And even today, our systems aren't where they need to be yet. And that is, I mean, if you're going to do this from scratch, I would say get your ducks in a row and get those basic things in place, your program design in place, your basic tools in place before you start engaging with the community, before you start hiring your staff. Because that's, that's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Um, so that's, that's definitely um, one of the, the big takeaways. The other takeaway for our program model, so we're partnering with our, um, our repair funds on the efficiency side. And um, we have this great home energy solutions program, um, which is really robust and has been super successful. And it's a direct install pro program that over the last two years has started to focus more on getting folks to do the upgrade. Um, and so I guess for our program, we probably would have put more money in the budget to um, to work with our contractors on QAQC, on training, on, on, on process around that. And that's something that we're trying to find money for now um, that we didn't originally have in the budget. Um, another question sort of on uh, the, the design of the program. Um, the, the, the points that are available, there's a lot of questions coming in from our audience on uh, from Betsy Harper, um, from others, uh, Nicholas Lang, on uh, the points that are there. Who actually gets them? These allocated to the communities themselves, the individuals. When you're talking about those points, like, can you walk us through the process of someone grabbing a point and then being able to dedicate it or, or place it somewhere? Yeah, so, so the design of the Energy Challenge Rewards Program, at least the town aspect of the program, is that individual actions that homeowners take, actually the points that are created go to the town. And then a town task force or town leaders then make the decision with the community 
about what to then redeem those points for with regards to the local prize. And that's actually one of our just general philosophies about developing a rewards program is, is who do you provide the reward to? Um, and going back to some research, this program is based on the Connecticut Clean Energy Communities Program, where for every 100 households that sign up for clean energy, uh, the state's clean energy fund would provide to the community uh, a free solar PV installation that would go on a library, a marina, a community building. And what we saw from the research done on that, and it's actually online, so if, if folks want to download the research paper done by uh, Matt Kotchin, uh, from the National Bureau of Economic Research. He's a Yale professor, but he did some research. He actually looks into this question of can performance-based rewards like this work where you incentivize uh, actions from individuals that reward the communities. And it actually showed a pretty significant uh, contribution of a public sector-supported program. So the desi design of our town elements is very much focused on town redeeming the rewards uh, for its own uh, municipal facilities. But the town can decide to give those rewards back to individual households. The community groups, uh, they would decide how uh, to redeem those points for either their community group or, again, their members. And then lastly, on the individual recognition, that's really just a recognition. It's kind of like a badge of honor uh, that uh, will widget at some point um, um, with all the actions that homeowners take. For the community groups, the individual, the, the resident, determines what community group they want their points to go to. So they have to make a proactive decision around that. If Lisa even has a question building on that. Um, why are some of why are foreign fish programs not used more widely nationally? And do you have any is, there, is this more cost effective way for taxpayers to use money? This type of rewards program to incent behavior? It's a great, great question. Um, it depends upon what action you're trying to get homeowners to achieve, right? And if you are a public sector organization that's trying to achieve some sort of market transformation with the policy, uh, performance-based rewards can work, and the Clean Energy Communities Program is evidence of that. So, Lee, you should definitely go and read that paper. Um, if you look at it from a cost-effectiveness standpoint, um, I think uh, the Yale professor gave the program a 35% of the market created was a result of this government program. So there's now nearly 300 million kilowatt hours a year of clean energy being sold, that's pretty significant. So 35% of that being created by the state. To me, you know, given that customers fairly churn in these markets, uh, that's a fairly cost-effective program. Um, the numbers I looked at historically were as low as a penny per kilowatt hour, one-time uh, upfront cost to a, to a public sector program. One of the things that we're going to do with this program is really dive into that. As we start to succeed and see all of our uh, marketing programs and residential households taking up these programs, we're going to then match that against uh, the rewards program to get to an understanding as to what the costs of that program have in fact done to, in, to you know, increase the level of involvement from the community. I mean, I will say that, that um, these are, uh, they come with some administrative burden, right? I mean, you've got to set up a tracking system for all these points, um, and so, uh, so that's something you have to be aware of. Um, but I think, I think one of the important things that Brian just alluded to, you know, a year or two down the road, we'll look at the acquisition costs overall for the program. And we'll be able to quantify, you know, how effective this is versus, you know, giving out rebates, giving out incentives, um, you know, versus, incent uh, versus financing. And, and that's, a, that's an important open question for us. We believe, based on our modeling and our projections, that it's absolutely more cost effective to do it this way, despite all the startup costs of the administration. Um, but we'll see. And that's, you know, that's why this is part of the Better Buildings program. It's an innovation that needs to be tested and quantified. 
Yeah. And I know this is quite early in the implementation of the program, but do you have any insights on cost, particularly when you're talking about that food chain? No. Is there any? Okay. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Too early. <laughs> um, we have a question uh, from Adrian Horton. Um, can you describe the partnership with uh, the Connecticut Energy Efficiency Fund in a bit more detail? Um, how that partnership is adapting and evolving and what that could mean for other states um, around the U.S. with these types of red care funds? Sure. Well, so um, we, uh, we partnered with the fund as part of the application process in a couple of different ways. Um, one was around the ability to market um, the programs that they had. Um, two was in um, the efficiency fund providing um, dollars into the application to support our rewards program. And three was around data sharing and, and working out the, the legal ways in which we could um, share data, both for baselining town usage data at the aggregate level as well as individual usage data. Um, and so, um, you know, again, it is early in our implementation, so we don't have a ton of data yet, um, but we provide um, we, we provide our um, uh, stats on a monthly basis uh, to the Energy Efficiency Fund. And um, you know, we, we work on a daily basis with the utility program administrators um, to give feedback about what's working and what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Um, and then we want to more formally provide feedback as we're going through some of the campaign analysis that we talked about. Um, also, the Energy Efficiency Fund um, now has financing for residents, which is awesome. I mean, it's a really, really great financing program. Um, so that's been um, amazing to take advantage of. Um, and so, you know, I think it's an opportunity to learn. And, and we're, we're pushing a little bit ahead of where the program is in terms of this focus on upgrades. Um, and that, that's a direction that the utility program administrators are absolutely moving in anyways, as well as the overall um, state rate pair fund. Um, and so um, we're really pushing on that and trying to work out um, how you interact with contractors, what that sales pipeline process looks like, and what the QAQC process needs to look like. Uh, in terms of, you mentioned the importance of the utility bill. Can you, uh, can you talk a bit more about um, advice you'd have for community groups that are looking to get access to that type of data, and if you all have any plans to help incorporate both home heating oil um, or natural gas yeah. into that reporting. Yeah. So our release form covers um, electric, gas, heating oil, you know, whatever your fuel sources are, propane it could be. Um, and so um, the first agreement we have in place with uh, uh, Northeast Utilities Connecticut Light and Power is um, for electric and gas usage. Um, so, uh, as well as any program data that comes with that, like the Home Energy Solutions program data. And we'll be going after oil next. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, it, it took quite a bit of time um, to focus on electric and natural gas. Um, and in terms of advice for communities, I mean, first of all, you, you have to ask um, and you have to um, engage your utility partners. It can be a little difficult. Um, I've heard from other states, I mean, that, this wasn't an issue for us here in Connecticut, but I definitely heard from other Better Buildings programs that it can be hard to find the right person in the utility to talk to. Um, I think you always start with your account rep um, and just and keep asking. Um, you know, to get there. And um, you can also talk to your public utility commission as another avenue, uh, because these are regulated, regulated entities, um, typically. And so um, there are a lot of concerns, really valid concerns around privacy and confidentiality and security. And, um, and so it's, it's complex. I mean, it's not just a slam dunk. You ask and you get the data. And you have to be willing to engage um, and, and understand the issues um, on the other side. And speaking of complexity and regulation, you guys mentioned uh, we have a question coming in from uh, Paul Raver. 
Uh, you mentioned the Energy Independence and Security Act in 2007. Some of the, some of the implications that that may have uh, going forward for utility programs. Uh, could you talk about that a bit more and also what that means for the type of robust monitoring and verification that you all have built into the program? What are sort of, what's the interplay there? So with respect to uh, EISA 2007 on our lighting program, we had envisioned going into the regulator with this project that would be financed through the sale and transaction of these renewable energy credits. So when you think about the useful life of a CFL, you're talking seven, eight years for a CFL. So if you're installing these in homes and you can get a seven-year uh, lifetime on a renewable energy credit and you got the right buyer to pay the right price, one could hypothetically finance these projects and, and increase the acceleration uh, of CFLs into the market. But what the Federal Act did is it said by 2012, uh, a certain level of wattage of incandescent light bulbs would be phased out or they would have to be improved by 30%. And ultimately, all these incandescents by the year 2014 would have to be improved by 30%. So what we're effectively seeing now is not a convergence or, or not a, a conversion from incandescent light bulbs to CFLs. But we're in fact seeing the customer looking at halogen hybrids, which are 30% more efficient than incandescent light bulbs and not 75% efficient like CFLs. So the federal decision has had uh, an effect on the local policy, which is okay from a broader perspective. Uh, just project developers like us, just you have to be more aware of the impact of those on on financial performance and looking at models like this. And, and for utilities, I mean, um, utilities who are uh, regulated, you know, by PUCs, it is a challenge because, um, you know, it's, it's changed the cost effectiveness. I mean, a, a PUC could take an interpretation of the cost effectiveness um, of CFLs, and so it, c it can have a pretty significant impact on the amount of savings that a utility program can, play, it can claim, just like it has impacted uh, for the neighbor and neighbor lighting. Um, and that can have some unintended consequences. Um, so it's, uh, I think that's created a lot of challenges for, uh, for regulators and utilities. Okay. A, a final question focusing back on the person that you're serving, the end customer. Uh, going into this, you both had a lot of knowledge and experience about the energy market, how to run these programs. Is there anything that you've learned that's been really surprising about the way customers interact with energy? Something that you hadn't expected going in that you're coming out with now? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, um, for me personally, I always suspected it would be really hard to get uh, customers to engage with energy on a daily basis and, and take action and move forward. And um, it's so much harder than we envisioned. It's so much harder. Uh, there's just a lot of competition for people's mind share and what they're focused on. And this is not front and center. And the economic situation is tough. And it's hard and it's complicated and it requires contractors and people in your homes. And it's hard. It's hard to get folks to move forward. And there are so many things that are happening to customers here in Connecticut. I mean, we're throwing all these programs and all these bones out to them. They've also got competitive suppliers of electricity. They can go out and procure a cheaper product if they wanted to, um, you know, on the spot or sign a long-term contract. So they have a lot of things that are affecting their decisions. And, you know, Carrie is so right. We went into this being very, very optimistic, and we still are very optimistic that this program is going to have a big effect uh, on those homeowners. But the challenge is so much harder than we would have ever anticipated. And, you know, our hope is that at the end of the day, 
when we see like the core out in the community or our programs out serving the community, that in some way we've won the hearts and minds of, of those residents so that they see from a public policy perspective that it might make sense for the state to support a policy of X and Y and that spending a little bit more may be worth it. Um, so the program will have those sort of spillover effects we hope as well. And, um, and, and I think, you know, in terms of what we're focused on now in our interactions with customers, it's really articulating the value proposition. What, what is important and what, what in the end is the customer going to get out of um, taking some sort of action and making it easy? You know, just, just focus on basics. Fantastic. Um, well, that concludes the talk by Carrie O'Neill and Brian Garcia of Earth Markets. Carrie and Brian, uh, do you have any final thoughts for our audience today? You know, thank you for your questions and get in touch if you have any more. We're available. And to all those in the audience who did not get their questions answered, uh, we will make sure they're relayed to Brian and Carrie in the future uh, so they can respond to you. Uh, we would like to thank them for joining us this afternoon. This talk will be made available through Yale iTunes University. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates about the speaker series and new developments in energy efficiency policy, technology, investment, and community engagement at Yale Blueprint. If you would like a copy of the presentation, please visit the website for the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. The presentation will be under the Carbon Finance Speaker Series for this particular talk. We'll continue to delve into new technology, policy, investment, and community engagement options as the weeks progress. We look forward to your continued participation. We thank you for joining us for Blueprint for Efficiency, part of the Carbon Finance Speaker Series at Yale. This is Stuart DeCue from the Yale Center for Business and the Environment in New Haven, Connecticut, saying so long.